This podcast series is part of Hashtag Hour, a new grassroots project that brings together personal stories of all backgrounds to widen discussions on existing and important issues that are often silenced. Interested in the project or want to contribute to our work? Check out www.ourcontext.org. What does it mean to be a Nigerian man living and studying in Seoul, South Korea and Berlin, Germany? In this episode, Tom shares his stories of growing up in different places, the importance of language for fitting in, and his understanding and relationship to racism. I'm Fumi, this is Hashigar Racism, and this is the story of Tom. Tom is Nigerian. He was born in Angola to two Nigerian parents, then moved to Nigeria at the age of four where he would spend the next 10 years of his life. Tom says that he doesn't remember facing discrimination when he was in Nigeria, but he recognizes that there are different perceptions of people amongst Nigerians depending on which region one is from. There's like uh, certain regions in Nigeria, like there's, of course, we have north, uh, the south, and the east and the west. Um, and every region is kind of known for something. So the north, they're mostly known for like uh, having big families, uh, being more of a farming community kind of thing. And uh, they're not very, like, back in the day, they were not known as people who would go to school to study because they were more communal. Like, you know, we, like, they, they, would, they would just, like, have big families to take care of the farms of the cattle and all the kind of, and, like, you know, farming in general. And then the East, they were known for business. And so they're a very business-oriented uh, community. So they were known for being very clever. Then the West, they were known for being education-driven. So they would go to the best schools and things like that. And in the South, well, I don't really know what the South people are known for, I guess, but they're kind of like a mix between between the West and the East, I, I, I would say, because I'm from the South. Uh, so a lot, of, a lot of the Southern people in Nigeria do go to school. And they also start up businesses and things like that. But, but, but we're not very unique like the other regions are. And people of the north are kind of, they're kind of not looked down upon, but people don't per- perceive them as being very smart just because they kept to the traditional uh, farming uh, ideologies and, and, and things like that. Uh, so there is this kind of discrimination when you see somebody from the north, there's always this kind of sense like they're kind of looked down upon. So I would say that is very obvious when you when you're in Nigeria and you're in like a northern part or you see someone from the north, this is very easy to pick up on. At the age of 14, Tom moved to Seoul, South Korea for his father's work. He says he only remembers innocent experiences there, starting from the first day he arrived in South Korea. The first day we got to South Korea, we were waiting. Let me see what we were doing. What was I doing? Uh, we were waiting for a cab in front of this uh, hotel in down in Itaewon. And this was literally our first experience going like, and a bunch of Korean people came to us and they were like, can we take pictures with you? And they were really friendly. So this was not like, oh, let's take pictures because they're weird or whatever. So they were just like, oh my God, these are foreigners. Like, so let's take a picture and let's just be happy. Like, you know, so that was literally the first experience. So my first experience in Korea was everyone is nice. <laughs> and 
that trend actually held up. I, I cannot say I experienced someone being racist towards me, like in, you know, in, in the way it's known, like, like being openly aggressive or rude. I never experienced that in Korea, to be honest. Like, um, so I think they're just, the Koreans are just people who just have respect. And of course, I don't know what they do when they're in, like, away from me, but at least to me, my, my experience was like, they were very nice. And I never once experienced like that kind of situation where it's like, yeah, like a conflict just because, you know, I'm of color. Tom went to an international high school in Seoul. He says that although the school was international, he could detect how circles of friends correlated with the students' backgrounds and their linguistic skills. Actually, I enjoyed high school, but tried to integrate myself into the into like the Korean community kind of thing. It was not very easy, mostly because of the language. Um, so sometimes in high school, we would speak English, but the Koreans also spoke Korean amongst themselves. So sometimes it was easy to get kind of like not excluded on purpose, but you just feel yourself drifting out of a conversation sometimes. I don't think anyone did this on purpose, but it's, you know, some friends, some people are closer to closer than each other, like closer than others are. So when you're speaking with a group of four people, for example, and three of them know each other very well, and then all of a sudden some they shift to Korean at some point, then you kind of get like left out for a bit but I never took offense to this uh, to be honest so I always just kind of just went with the flow like I didn't take anything personally back then and like back in high school there, there was like other people of color as well and they kind of like kept to themselves in some way and the Korean people kept to themselves and they, they, they had like they had their own friend circle and the people of color and I'll just say the international students because it was not just people of color. It was also uh, Caucasian people who were just like, you know, so it was kind of like a Korean versus the rest <laughs> kind of thing. Not, not in a conflict kind of way, just in the way the friend, friendship circles were formed for the most part. So th that was very easy to see in the hallways and, and just in general, even in the, at the lunch table. But there was no one instance that was like, oh, that's racism to me. Like, I, I never really picked up on that. I, I just really noticed, like, people hung out amongst themselves based on where they came from. Whilst Tom says he doesn't recall being outrightly othered, he does remember people assuming that he was a fast runner. I would say there was a perception that I should be faster than everyone else <laughs> so this was like an open joke throughout my stay there like you know they, everyone expected me to be faster than everyone else and I wasn't uh, at least not in soccer but in cross country I was but there was this kind of like open running joke about that but it was more of a joke than anything else but sports for me was uh, it was where I like I wouldn't say heal but that was where I was most comfortable like I had my best times doing sports back then, even now, but um, there was no, I couldn't sense any differences like between me and the others, like it was more like we just came together and we just, you just bond over sports kind of thing. And I, I did it mostly on like international school level, 
So there was this camaraderie uh, between between us as a students, I guess, and you know, just sport uh, sports. Tom says he took a class on U.S. history and the slave trade. He recalls the discomfort he saw in his peers during the class. So I, I took U.S. history for a, I think it was a semester or a year. I, I don't remember. Uh, so we did learn about the slave trade and all that, you know. And I have to say, during the classes, it was very, very awkward. <laughs> so it was, it was really awkward. Not, not from my perspective. I was cool, but I think everyone else was kind of like not cool. You could just feel like, cause you know, we had. So I, I was in, in this class, and I think there was one other, uh, one, one other guy, who was also of color. So. You know, I, I feel like just just talk just talking about it for the for the others, it just felt kind of sad in a way. And so you could just tell like this was not something they wanted to talk about, like when there were people of color in the same area. So it's kind of like I just I, of course I didn't talk to them about it and I didn't really ask, but I could just see on their faces like they would rather not have this conversation right now. <laughs> you could tell they felt bad that. I'll just say my people had to go through this, and it was, of course, it wasn't their fault. But you could, you could sense they had some sort of sympathy, and it, it just kind of affected them in that moment, in that way, where they just felt, yeah, we'd rather not talk about this because we don't, we don't do this. Like, like th th they were not racist; they were very friendly people. So, you know, just, just to, I, I'll just imagine what they were thinking. It would probably be like. I don't know why people would do this because I don't do it like back in the day, you know, and they just kind of felt a sympathy and it, they just kind of felt really, probably they felt sad in a way and it just showed on their faces and I was cool. I was like, okay. <laughs> so, but it was, but it was, yeah, it was just, it was, um, it was just interesting. Like for me, cause it didn't really, it didn't really stick to me personally. Cause I'm not, I'm not American and this was like American history. So it didn't really hit me. Like it would probably hit like, like a African American, I, I guess. But I found it interesting from my perspective, but yeah. Tom reflects whether the history class he took back in high school was useful for him personally. The class itself, I would say not really cause it didn't change anything in today's world like people to go through the same things they went through uh, back in the day. Of course, it's a lot better. Like today, it's not as, like I could not imagine living in like the American society, say in the, I don't know, 50s or whatever. Uh, but it was kind of nice to know like this, like this happened, but I didn't really get any benefits like in my life. Like, it, like I, I don't know if I learned any valuable lessons from that. So it was just like a history lesson, but how do how does that help me today? Uh, I don't really find any anything there, to be honest. Tom is currently working in Berlin. He says that when he first arrived in Berlin five years ago, it was difficult for him to integrate due to language barriers. However, as he's starting to improve his German and learn to think and express himself in the way people in Germany understand him, people started to open up more to him. People do get do tend to open up more when you do speak German. I would say that that I can I can tell like because I did meet people when I when I first came and 
conversations would be very like surface level, like you know, where are you from, blah 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 blah. But then when you speak German, then people tend to like open up a lot more. But I think that's the same with any other language. Um, people would generally open up more with if they're comfortable in that language. So if they're trying to speak English, they're so like they'll be so self like you know like cautious of what they're saying and to 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 make like um, to make sure they're not pronouncing things wrong or using the wrong tense that they wouldn't really invest in the conversation in that way but if, if you speak in German of course every, like they're comfortable in German then they will tend to like get carried away in the conversation so yeah just in general um, yeah they like it, it was a lot easier when I when I learned German and I started having conversations in German Tom makes points of one expectation and stereotype people have of him his ability to rap he says he doesn't take it personally. I would say people always thought I could rap or something like that, <laughs> but I can't. I would definitely say a lot of times when I'm around a crowd of Germans, they tend to play like rap music or like old uh, hip hop kind of music. And to be honest, that's not even my genre of music. So I didn't know most of the songs they were even playing. And they're like, how do you not know this? I'm like, because uh, I don't. <laughs> so... I guess it's the expectation that you should know something based on like your based on you know where you come from or how you look. There is that expectation, but I think it's that's embedded in everybody in in some way. So you just you just have fun with it. Tom shares his reflections around stereotyping and racism. I don't necessarily have a problem with stereotyping because it's just a pattern of things that have developed over time. It's not people don't. There, there, there is some truth to it uh, in, in most cases. So I don't really take offense when someone like asks me, would ask me a question based on a stereotype. It's like, uh, do you do this? Uh, no, I don't. And, you know, so so the, there is that very fine. I don't know. It's kind of difficult to differentiate uh, racism from stereotyping. And I guess it would be racism when someone gets angry at a stereotype. Then they would they would say it's racism in a way, because most of the time it's how you react to this, and then that takes it from being a stereotype to being racism. But that's what that's why it's, it's very difficult sometimes to just understand it. Because uh, just back to the stereotype point, like you could you could make a stereotypical assumption to two different people of the same, you know, that that come from the same place. And one person might be like, haha, that's funny, like that you assumed I would be like this. And another person would be like, that's so rude, that's racist. Like, so I, I just think if people would just, just calm down and just think about some things like and how they react, because you could interact with different people. And for one person, it would be racist. And for another person, it would just be like, that's just a person who was not nice on that in that moment in time. Um, well, I think if everyone can just hold emotions in check. For the most part, I think a lot of stuff would not even be classified as racism. It would just be classified as an individual to individual interaction. And that's how I try to like classify my interactions. Like, yeah, not in this broad, broader view, but like more of a personal to personal interaction. Tom says that he doesn't bother too much when people say something racist to him. I would say personally, I would let it go just because it doesn't add any value like like what benefits do i get from following up with this uh, 
Um, so, I w like, cause you you can't like, what would you do? Like, if you if you call the cops, they wouldn't do anything anyways. They would just say chill out, or don't take it too seriously. And well, if they would make a if, if they would do that and then say it's a joke, I would just then then would be a decision for me to make. Like, if I want to keep talking to that person or if I don't. But I wouldn't let that bother me to be honest for that long. Um, yeah, that's just that's just the way I see it. Um, just because you have to like minimize how much in how much emotions you invest in this kind of things, and if it's not of benefit to me to to pursue, to pursue complaining about this or trying to make this person apologize, like I don't care if you apologize or not, because it wouldn't benefit me in any way, anyways. So. Yeah, that's that's just how I've seen it. Tom shares his understanding of racism. Of course, there's different definitions and there's different different degrees to which people would view stuff. But for me, it's I've only like I only find it to be racism when it's physically abusive, verbally abusive, or when you get denied opportunities just because. And for that third point. It's very difficult to prove because you would never know if you got rejected for like a job interview because you're black or not. They would just tell you, we're not going to consider you anymore for the interview process. So that's kind of hard to prove. But I would say that would be those are, those are the three cases that come to mind when I think of racism. So if I'm going down the street and somebody's like rude, I wouldn't invest time, to be honest, like. You know, going back and forth with the person, I would just walk away. That, that's so. So for me, the, the the toughest point would be when people get physically oppressed, and that would be the biggest one for me. Because the rest, I I personally wouldn't care if I got rejected for an interview. Okay, maybe if I was on my last paycheck and then I got rejected, then I that would, that would be a problem, and then I'll probably get like mad or something. But I wouldn't know anyways. But I wouldn't take that as personal, as personal as I would take um. Like a physical, like physical assault is where it, for me it crosses the line, and that's where like that that's because now you're putting my that's my life would be in danger or something, and that's when I that's when I would be like okay that's a concern, but if it's just like somebody is just like verbally abusive, I can walk away from that very easily. Um, I don't let that bother me to be honest. Um, Tom shares the following reflection on the 2020 Black Lives Matter movement. To be honest, like I, I know I know the general um how how do I put this? Like I know the like I know what's going on, like on a surface level, but I never actually dug deep into the whole Black Lives Matter issues. I guess the like these issues have been going on longer than George Floyd actually uh before him. Like cause I I read a few cases of stuff like that that happened in the past years. Um I mean, obviously, it's sad um, that stuff like this happens, um, but I, I do believe, like, we as, like, not we, I'm not African-American or whatever. In some cases, like, these things are not, I, I think a lot of these cases could be avoided, like, under certain circumstances. So, like, the issues that happen due to, like, gang violence and stuff like that. I just think the community has to be improved. Now, there is also like an idea that the communities are that way because of racism, because like they're, they're kept that way. And if the communities are in poverty, then more cases like th like these are, are, are going to happen. 
But I, I just found like the way the whole Black Lives Matters thing went about was, I would say it was a bit too violent for me. Like, um, so sometimes you need to like uh, take drastic measures, like when when things like that happen. But to the point of burning, like burning down stuff, I think it just makes it worse. Um, because in my in my opinion, I think that caused more of a divide than. So instead of like actually trying to like resolve the issue, that that whole thing actually led to more people being not not more, not racist, but it, I just felt like it caused it caused more of a disconnect between both sides. Of course, like th these issues have to be addressed, uh, but I feel like people can actually come together and find an, like a better alternative to. I, I I did not like the way it was handled, like on both both sides, to be honest, like. So I feel like people need to like try to keep emotions a bit like not not keep it down. You're you're allowed to feel however you want to feel, but you have to at least control it to to a point. And yeah, peaceful prote uh, protests were not very peace peaceful in my opinion. So uh, I just feel like there's a better way to handle stuff like this. Uh, it's difficult, but I don't know enough to actually give a judgment on on that side, but. I, I would handle things differently um, as a person. Against the background of his reflections and understanding of stereotyping and racism, Tom shares the following on what he thinks it takes to be anti-racist. I would say um, just just because like there's like a huge line between uh, being racist and being like and stereotyping people. I think the stereotypes. I don't think you can un unlearn that. Um, so I would say to be anti-racist would just be to treat everyone like you would treat yourself, you know, like, or you treat like a family member, like, oh, some people, some, some families hate each other. So not, 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 not that, but uh, just, 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 I think just being fair, like, just be fair. Like, I think if everyone would treat everyone else fairly, like, regardless of color, then I think at least from my definition of racism, like I said, would be like to be like physic physically or verbally abusive. Now there is a sometimes like somebody could be verbally abusive, and you would think, okay, that person is a racist, and it just turns out that person had a bad day, because they could be verbally abusive to other people of their nationality and or region or whatever. So sometimes you might just catch someone on a bad day. So to be anti-racist, you you just have to be. Try to be a nice person in general, like, um, and keep control of your emotions. That, that would be my, my general solution. I don't have a better one. Pretty much because of how I view racism. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. You can find more articles, books, and videos Tom recommends people to take a look at on racism in our website, www.ourcontext.org. You can also find the transcript of this episode on a website in English, French, German, and Italian. If you have a personal story to share, reach out to us on our website, Instagram, or Twitter. You can find us by typing in hashtag our underscore racism. This is Fumi and hashtag our racism. See you in two weeks. This episode was produced and edited by me, Fumi. Introductory score by Luca Nioi. Other music by Pete Morris, Crescent Music, and Fugu Vibes. A big thank you to Tom for his time and sharing with us important and honest reflections on this issue.